0: Are you ready for an open discussion with the best of the best and the best of what's next? Welcome to the Tony D'Urso Show. Join in on a great conversation today with some of the world's great influencers as they showcase great advice and techniques that made them the game changers they are today. Now, here's Tony D'Urso. Welcome. Thanks for joining in
1: with us. When we hear of the word soul, we may think a lot of things. It's well used and very common in our world today. And also the term chicken soup. We know that when everyone hears that, hey, when one of my colleagues feels ill, I'm always recommending some special formula of chicken soup, which invariably helps heal the person a lot more quickly and makes them feel a lot better. Chicken soup is really important for the body. Now, when you put them both together, wow, it's really powerful, as you're going to find out very soon. I consider this some of the best advice for you as an entrepreneur. This is Your Chicken Soup. We're going to talk about your 10 keys to happiness with Amy Newmark. And later in this episode, we have an insider's brief about the real impact of big tech privacy on digital marketing. Stay tuned for that later in this episode. Now, the Chicken Soup for the Soul Book series have sold more than 500 million copies worldwide quite a few books. And so far on this show, we've interviewed three authors of this series, including the two original founders, Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen. And while we're at it, this is all about helping you and your friends turn your vision into reality. The whole goal here, the purpose, the reason is we want to help you get very successful at growing your business, taking your business to a high, sustainable level. We'll meet Amy Newmark. She's editor and publisher of the Chicken Soup for the Soul book series. She personally edits every word of about 10 to 12 books a year. Here's some stats. In 2007, USA Today named Chicken Soup for the Soul one of the five most impactful books of the past 25 years. And in 2008, Chicken Soup for the Soul became the number one time. I could say more, but I think that says it all. Let's get into it. Hi, Amy. Welcome to the Tony Dierso Show.
2: Thank you for having me
1: on, Tony. Amy, we're all looking forward to learning about your 10 keys to happiness. And what I'd like to know first is, how did it all happen for you? What's your
2: backstory? (laughs) My backstory is not what you would expect for a chicken soup for the soul person, because I spent many decades as a big, bad Wall Street person. Um even being a short seller, which meant that I was telling people that when stocks were overvalued and I was exposing fraudulent stocks. Uh, But I spent my whole career in telecommunications and technology in the finance world. And then when I turned 50 and the youngest child was going off to college, my husband and I decided to do something completely different. And we bought Chicken Soup for the Soul from Jack Canfield and Mark Victor Hansen, who you know. And uh, I think I've tried to carry on their legacy of putting you know, real stories from real people in these books because we learn best from the stories of other people. And I've tried to bring Chicken Soup for the Soul into the modern age by covering a lot more types of topics. And we also have expanded Chicken Soup for the Soul into pet food and also into a very large entertainment business Um, which owns Crackle, which used to be part of Sony. So it's a very big company now. And the book business, which started it all, continues to chug along like the little engine that could. Um, But it's actually the smallest part now of the big chicken soup for the soul enterprise.
1: Amy, can you take us a little bit more into it? You said it in a sentence, but why you went from finances, Wall Street to publishing. What made you take
2: such a move? So this is going to sound incorrect somehow to people, people who think that Wall Street is populated by bad people. But I always was trying to do my best for people. So when I would come out with stock recommendations, it's because I was trying to help people make money. And when I would expose companies that were fraudulent, it was because I was trying to protect people from bad managements that were trying to take their money. So it was always about doing what was right for people. And this is really just an extension of that. They say that on Wall Street there are only two emotions, fear and greed. And now I deal with, you know, the whole panoply of emotions. But everything I always did was about storytelling. I mean, when I was on Wall Street, I was always telling stories. You know, here's a company, here's why you should buy it, here's a story about its history, here's why this stock will help you. And it's the same thing now with Chicken Soup for the Soul. But I have to say that this is even more fulfilling than my prior business career was because I get fan mail all the time from people specifically telling me how our books have helped them with their lives. And what I've done with this most recent book, Your 10 Keys to Happiness, is I've really distilled everything I've learned in the 14 years as editor of these books into one volume where. I've used that analytical side of myself to analyze the tens of thousands of chicken soup for the soul stories that I've read and say, what have I learned from these? And what are the 10 most important keys to happiness? And so to me, it all seems like a logical progression, even though it might sound strange for somebody else that this Wall Street person became the chicken soup for the soul lady. Oh, and you know what else? This is funny. When I was in college, I majored in Portuguese and minored in French, and there weren't enough Portuguese courses at my college, and so I spent a semester in Brazil. I wrote my thesis on popular poetry in Northeast Brazil, and there they tell stories through kind of chanting poetry, and so I was actually traveling around Brazil collecting stories from regular people, and that became the basis for my thesis. And when I sat down thirty years later to write a resume, when we started Chicken Soup for the Soul, all of a sudden I needed a resume. I realized, oh my gosh, I've come full circle because I was collecting stories from regular people when I was twenty, and then I was doing it again as a fifty-year-old.
1: That's really interesting. You realized that you like telling stories, you need to tell stories, you want to tell stories, and here you are, in charge of. Probably the biggest storytelling book in history, aside from perhaps the Bible. But
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we are. Um, I would say the most popular storyteller uh, in the world, aside from the Bible, absolutely.
1: And Amy, here we are. We're entrepreneurs. We want to learn from you. We want to get wisdom in terms of maybe we'll get some aha moments or some guidance to help take our business up. So we want to learn that, but also. I believe that these ten key points that we're going to talk about here are going to be really helpful to entrepreneurs, so I'm going to ask you to start talking about the ten points and you're welcome to weave in a story or whatever on how you think this can help us in our business
0: so,
2: you ready for that I'm absolutely ready for that, and I've been an entrepreneur for my whole life, even when I was on Wall Street. I went out on my own and started my own research firm and you know was doing everything in the beginning and then hired a staff but I know what it's like to be an entrepreneur. My father was an entrepreneur. My husband was and is an entrepreneur. Uh, So I've lived my whole life in the business world with entrepreneurs. So I use these strategies to help me be a happier person and to make me better at doing this work, running this business. Because I don't think you can be good at running your business, which is hard. I mean, you're doing it, you know, basically 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. Even when you're sleeping, you're probably dreaming about your business. You can't do that unless you have certain life tools. And what I think I've done is I've identified the tools that you really already have inside you. I'm just going to help you learn how to use them to become a happier more productive person who gets more done each day and is happier about doing it.
1: Well said, I like that. That's a great intro for this. Now, we may or may not be able to get into all 10, but let's see what we can do. Let's start here from the beginning. Count your blessings.
2: All right, yeah, let's start with that. And let me make the point that there's a lot of things you can't control in your life, especially these days. You know, you got inflation and all kinds of things going on. That affect your business, that affect how you operate your life. But you can control yourself. So, what I'm really offering you is the chance to exert some control over the most important part of your enterprise, which is you, right? You are the key to everything. And whether that's at work or at home. So the first thing is I don't think you can really be happy if you're not coming from a position of looking at what you have in your life instead of what you lack. I think that has been scientifically proven that people who are grateful, who actively, you know, count their blessings are more popular, they have better relationships with people, they're more productive. And some people are naturally grateful. They wake up knowing, "Hey, I'm blessed. This is good." I, even if something bad happens to them, they're like, "I bet there's going to be a silver lining," you know. And then other people don't have that natural optimism. And the cool thing is there aren't that many personality traits that you can add on, but gratitude is one that you can actually add on. And it's really simple. It takes you about one minute a day. And I think we can all afford one minute a day. Just sit down at night before you go to bed and write down one good thing that happened each day or one or three good things that happened. If you write down three good things and You don't repeat any of them at the end of a month, you're going to have written down ninety things that you're grateful for, and it can be as minor as I was running late and I you know found a parking space right in front of where I was going, or it could be something major, like I'm so blessed to have children who call me all the time and are still part of my life, you know whatever it is. But I just don't believe you can be happy if you're not actively practicing gratitude, so that's one that I think is key. And then my second key, and then all the other ones are optional. Or do you want to talk about
1: gratitude some more? Well, we'll take
2: them one at a time.
1: I did want to say, because throughout my entire career, corporately and as an entrepreneur, which would be 10 years as a paper I never, ever was grateful for anything. I wasn't an ingrate. I'm, I'm a people person. I, hey, I'm Italian. So, you know, I'm already born liking people. But I never specifically, purposely counted my blessings or, or made, a, made a purposeful act to be grateful. I didn't understand it until I became an entrepreneur later and actually started podcasting when I've met great people such as you, elite entrepreneurs, as I call you all. And I was taught how to be grateful. I was taught gratitude. And the more I understand it, the more I'm grateful. The better everything goes, and I—it I, it almost sounds a little thiddy weedy or whatever people may call it, but it really works. The more grateful I am, the more that there is to be grateful for. It really is that powerful.
2: You know, it changes each day for you because if you know that at night you're going to write down three things that you're grateful for, you're going to conduct yourself differently during the day because you're going to be looking for the items that are going to go on your list that night, and so you're going to be open. To seeing all the good things that are happening and how somebody was nice to you, somebody let you pull in front of them when you were driving, whatever it was. So it does change your perspective. We don't all need that, but for people who do need it, one minute every night is all it takes to change that personality trait.
1: We're talking about your 10 keys to happiness with Amy Newmark, and you can find her and the book at chickensoup.com. It's just that simple. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, your 10 keys to happiness with Amy Newmark. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment. They say the key to happiness is to live each day like it's your last. By that logic, today's an amazing day to get life insurance through Ethos. With Ethos, you can get life insurance in 10 minutes for as little as $10 a month. Unlike other companies' long, confusing, and outdated application processes, Ethos' 100% online application takes only minutes, so you can get back to living. Ethos has no medical exams, just a few easy health questions, and competitive rates from top-rated carriers. Ethos is affordable and convenient. You know, life and events are unpredictable. It's always good to have insurance and never need it. And if you have insurance, then you never have to worry. We all know that too well. So join the thousands of satisfied families protected with help from Ethos, who have given the company a 4.8 star rating on Google Reviews. Every year you wait, life insurance premiums increase by 8 to 10%. Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com slash Tony spelled E T H O S life dot com slash Tony. Go to ethos dot com slash Tony to get your free life insurance quote today. Ethos Technologies Inc. operates in California as ethos life insurance services, not available in all states and prices subject to underwriting and certain health questions. And again, that's E T H O S L I F E dot com slash T-O-N-Y. Do this today and live worry-free with peace of mind.
0: You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with Key Influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests.
1: All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Your 10 Keys to Happiness with Amy Newmark. And check out my Elite Entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts, or you can find everything back to day one at Tony, D-U-R-S-O dot com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Amy. com. We're talking about the 10 keys to happiness that Amy has written based on, if I'm getting this right, basically a collection or understanding this kind of organizing, let me call it an overwhelm of great stories, and you've distilled it down into these 10
2: key points. Do I have that right? You do. And in the book, what I do is I present to you each of the keys to happiness, and then I give you 10 stories that will show you role models who are actually living the life and showing you how to use each of those keys to happiness.
1: Excellent. Let's take on the next one. Free yourself with forgiveness
2: all right, we all have lives that have been filled with resentments, disappointments, people who have done us wrong, people who hurt our feelings. And you can collect all of those and carry them around with you. You could imagine that you're wearing a cloak and you've sewn onto that cloak, a little piece of metal for every one of those disappointments. And so you're dragging all of those behind you as you're trying to move forward in your life. Or you could shrug off that cloak And you could leave those things behind you in the past because that's where they belong. They belong in your past. You shouldn't be dragging them into your present or into your future. And this is something that can really hurt you when you're trying to operate a business because things always go wrong. And there are always going to be people who let you down or do mean things to you or whatever it is. Well, there's a story I started the chapter with by a woman who was divorced and couldn't stop talking about her ex-husband and how he had wronged her. And finally, her best friend said to her, you might as well still be married to the man. You take him with you wherever you go. And it was such an epiphany for this woman because she realized, oh my gosh, I've created this prison with my resentment. And then I've locked myself inside it. My ex-husband is going along happily with his life and I'm stuck here in the past. And she said, I'm not letting him into my headspace anymore. I'm going to stop reliving those emotions. So I didn't really know what the word forgive meant until a few years ago. I thought it somehow meant that you were saying to somebody, oh, don't worry about it. What you did wasn't so bad that somehow you were you know, saying it was okay, almost condoning it. That's not what forgiveness means. What forgiveness means is that you've just decided that you will not relive the negative emotions associated with that thing that happened. So you intellectually know that thing happened. That person ripped me off, whatever it was. But you've decided, I'm not I'm not going to react to it anymore. I will intellectually know that it happened, but I will not keep reliving those emotions because if I do, then I'm just letting that person control my life. So this is a change that you can make in your perspective in one second just by realizing, whoops, I've been letting that person inside my head all this time out of my head now, person, out of my head now, that incident, I will not relive those emotions. I had those emotions when it happened. Why would I keep allowing them to happen over and over again? So I think that's another key to happiness. And it's really important when you're an entrepreneur and you're trying to move forward and bad things keep happening, you've got to just leave those bad things behind you and keep pressing forward.
1: Amy, if you know any other way to do that, or if anyone in the audience, please let me know. I've known people like this, and no matter what, they won't let go. I've known someone who just out of the blue would start yelling at me, not that the problem was with me, but the problem was with someone else that wronged this person, and just start yelling and going off about something that happened years ago. And I'm like, what happened? Did the person just call you, email you? No, the person just remembered this. Grievance. It was like, it was so many years ago. But somehow, sometimes just pointing it out to people, they either like doing it or they can't stop doing it and they can't get it out of their system, even when you point it out. So, if you or anyone knows any other way to recognizing it is good, but sometimes people need a little bit more to get it out of their system, I think.
2: I have another method, and this is what I do, and it might seem a little snarky. But I mean, I remember when I was in my mid 30s, I helped take a company public. I was doing it as a consultant to a brokerage firm. So we did the IPO of this company and it did well for a while, the stock. And then uh, something happened and the stock went down. And I was at this brokerage firm and they were the ones who decided to take this company public. It wasn't my decision. I just came in as a consultant and helped them do this IPO. And the head of trading, Started screaming at me. His name was Louis. And Louis started screaming at me in this conference room that was filled with probably 50 traders. And he's screaming at me about this stock that's gone down. And I just stood there and I looked at him and I thought, wow, you are a pathetic little man. I am so glad I'm not you. I don't know what's wrong with you, but I'm not letting it touch me. And I just built this invisible wall in front of me. And his words just kept flying over and never could touch me. Now, somebody might say, well, then you're kind of having a little bit of like a superiority thing when you use that as your defense mechanism. But it totally worked for me. I mean, I just viewed him as a specimen, basically, and didn't allow him to hurt me. And here's the really funny part. Years later, I was leaving a company that I had been working at. And I was starting to get a bunch of really good job offers. And one of the offers I got was from somebody who asked me if I wanted to come in as vice chairman of the brokerage firm, where that guy was the head trader. And I almost took the job because I thought, (laughs) oh, I can go fire him now. It wasn't really because I was suffering. I was just intellectually thinking, he probably needs to be fired. I could take this job and go in and get him fired now. But I didn't do it because um, even though that would have been an excellent version of revenge just served cold, I I wasn't really interested in the job.
1: So I have to ask you the question, Amy, you forgave him?
2: Oh, instantly. As he was yelling. (laughs) As he was yelling, he wasn't hurting me. I mean that there's something called pre-forgiveness where you just decide right up front, this isn't even gonna to touch me. You know, you could be hurt by something and then get over it later, or you could not even let it hurt you in the first place. And what I do with pre-forgiveness is I just look at the person who's done this thing to me or who is yelling at me or whatever. And I think, what is it in your life that is bothering you so much that you're acting like this? You know, and, and I just analyze the person right up front. And if you do that, then you don't even have to experience any hurt at all. And that's a really good thing to do in business because you're going to be dealing with people all day long who are in some way letting you down or agitating or causing problems for you. And so it's really good if you can just go in up front and think, all right, I'm very lucky I'm not this person. And let me try to figure out why this person is acting this way. And then when you start analyzing them and viewing them kind of as a specimen under your magnifying glass, they can't really bother you.
1: I like that. Great. Thank you so much for the additional insights and information on that. That's very good. All right, let's go to the next one, which sounds like, don't we hear this all the time, but I'm sure you've got a story for it. It's called Help Someone Else.
2: So when we help someone, it releases dopamines. And you just get this little rush of feeling good. And I think we all can think about the time when we put a quarter in the parking meter for a stranger. Like we saw the cop coming and we're like, oh, this person who's parked right next to me, I'll just stick a quarter in there, right? Or you held the door open for somebody, even though it delayed you a bit. Whatever it is, you get that little burst of pleasure from doing that. And often therapists will prescribe volunteer work. For people who are clinically depressed, because it will really help them to find value in their lives and realize they're contributing members of society and that they're worthy. And it can be something really minor. Like there's a story in the book from a woman who said that her friend was depressed and just wasn't doing well. And she knew that a lady who was at the church that they both went to, for some reason, didn't have a car available and needed a ride to the grocery store. So she suggested to her, a depressed friend, could you please give so-and-so a ride to the grocery store? And so her depressed friend gave this lady a ride to the grocery store and discovered that she really enjoyed helping her. Then she gave her rides to some of her other errands and it just transformed this lady. She felt so much better about herself. And I have read thousands of Chicken Soup for the Soul stories about volunteer work or even just holding a door open, whatever it is, it really helps to make you feel better. So if you're having a bad day, just go say, I'm going to go do something nice for somebody. And it really could be as simple as holding the door open for somebody. And you'll see, it will make you feel better.
1: Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I don't mention it on this show at all, but for over five years, actually, I think I mentioned it once for over five years, we've been helping orphans, widows, and the elderly people that just need a little help and we've been feeding them, uh, Paid for some insulin. I helped uh, admit someone to the hospital that needed to pay the fees. Just all sorts of things like that. And we've been doing it for probably going on six years now. And it just feels really good to help as we can. It's it's more than the starfish story, you know, where you help one person, you make a difference. We're just trying to help where we can because, you know, I've got everything I need. I've got all the food I want. I've got gasoline in the cars. The family's happy. Let's help other people. And you're right. It just feels good when you do it. No one's making me do it. I do it because I love it because I enjoy it. And it's such a good feeling. And out there dear entrepreneur, if you're take a look at that. Help even if you're 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 struggling, let's use a bad that's a bad word to make things happen. When you find it you help people, you'll struggle less and less and you'll get help more. And I think that's going to I think that's part of it is not that we do it for a reward, but we wind up being rewarded with I think more business and more goodness around us. This is the Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, your 10 keys to happiness with Amy Newmark. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment.
0: You're listening to The Tony D'Urso Show with Key Influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests.
1: All right, we're back on The Tony D'Urso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Your 10 Keys to Happiness with Amy Newmark. And join my weekly newsletter. It's really short. And get news about our elite entrepreneurs right to your inbox. It's simple, informative, it's all about helping you take your business to the next level. Go to Tony, and click on the newsletter icon. And did I say it's short and to the point? All right. And now back to the chat with Amy.
2: You know, a lot of companies will have what they'll call a team building day where they go out and they, I don't know, pick up debris at the beach or weed a certain part of their town or engage in some kind of volunteer work as a group. And it just lifts everyone's spirits. It's not just team building. They're giving everybody their own little dose of dopamine to take home with them.
1: Exactly. Amy, this next one, I see that you've practiced well. For those that are seeing uh, the video, if you look at Amy's desk, you'll find (laughs) it's clean. And and this topic, this point is have less stuff.
2: Oh, my gosh. I have so learned this lesson. So... My husband and I moved six months ago after living in the same house for 25 years. And it wasn't just my stuff. It was the kids' stuff too, because when you have kids who are in their 30s and you haven't forced them to get their stuff out yet, oh boy, do they use you as a storage unit. But anyway, I've read thousands of Chicken Soup for the Soul stories about people who changed their lives just by getting rid of stuff, because having stuff is such an emotional weight. And the worst thing you can do is get a storage unit. I mean, just ask people who have storage units. What did you do with the stuff in your storage unit? And they'll be like, well, I paid the fees for five years and then I threw it all away. You know, I mean, just don't put it in the storage unit in the first place. I have a story in the book from a guy who had done that thing. You're supposed to put aside what you're going to give away, what you're going to throw away, what you're going to donate to charities you know, and then what you're going to put in storage. And then he took all the stuff that was supposed to go to the storage unit, because he was moving from a house to a one-bedroom apartment. All the stuff that was supposed to go into the storage unit got rid of it. And a year later, he's in his one-bedroom apartment, happy as a clam. He couldn't even remember anymore what was supposed to have gone into the storage unit. So I have a bunch of stories in the book that I think provide us with really good role models for the value of getting rid of stuff. And, you know, If you're having trouble forcing yourself to do it, two pieces of advice. One, break it into tiny little pieces, like do one drawer, one shelf. Do one drawer one week. Do one shelf the next week. Just do one small, easy bite each week. The other thing, and this works for me, is give stuff away and realize that by holding onto it, you're holding onto what could be a blessing for someone else. You know, that extra blender that you're holding onto in case one of your kids ever wants it, your kid isn't going to want it. They want to just get their own blender. But that could go to your local goodwill or to some house where they have people who are just starting out or to some place that gives stuff to people who've just lost everything in a fire or whatever it is. You're holding onto someone else's blessing when you hoard all of that stuff. My husband and I gave each other tours of our closets a few weeks ago because we were so excited because we got rid of half our clothing and we were showing each other the emptiness in our closets and how nice it was to just look in there and only see clothing that we actually want to wear.
1: We need to do that again for the past 30 years and counting. My wife and I are probably the biggest contributor to Salvation Army. Folks, if you got a lot of stuff I advise, this is what I do. We don't bother selling it. We just give it to people that we feel can enjoy it and, and do something with it, as Amy suggests. And that, and there again, I think there comes a little bit of the dopamine here because you're helping other people now enjoy your stuff. You know, I like that idea of going through a drawer or part of the closet or a little bit at a time and see what you really don't need because it's just clutter. And we keep giving it away. And I don't know how it happens, but we keep growing <laughs> I think we're forced to keep giving it away because it, it duplicates, it multiplies.
2: <laughs> so the other thing is you need to do it at your office too. So we, we came back to work in the office in March after having been gone for two years. And the first thing I did when I got back was I cleaned out my office. I threw away so much stuff, so much stuff that I've been holding onto because after being away for two years, I realized I don't need any of this stuff. I've been perfectly fine without it for two years. So I have a much cleaner office now, as you have noted. And uh, yeah, it makes me really happy to have a clean, empty house and a nice, clean, empty office, too.
1: There's something about an open space, and, and I'm not quite sure what it is exactly, but it just, it just has a good feeling. So very good I think that.
2: an open space, when you sit down at a desk and it's open, I think it really helps you to move forward because it's like the prairie in front of you. It's wide open. All the possibilities are open in front of you. There's something symbolic about it.
1: Exactly. Now, this next point we've all heard 52,000 times, and I'll, I'll be the first to raise my hand. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know how to do it. It's two words. It sounds easy. Think positive. But It's not as easy. It's like some of these other points, not necessarily as easy as as you think by just saying it. It takes some application. Perhaps you can help us with that, Amy. Think positive.
2: So what I've done in this chapter is I've collected 10 different stories that illustrate 10 different ways that you can use positive thinking. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So one of them, and this is going to sound so like what people think of if, if they think that chicken soup for the soul is just all sweet and nice which we're not. We're actually very practical and we're giving you tips that will actually work because we're very business like. But this is going to sound like one of those sweet trickly kind of tips, but that is to smile. So it doesn't really matter what kind of day you're having. Maybe you're having the worst day ever. But if you emerge from your office or your home and you smile at people, They will smile back at you and it will change the way that people interact with you during the day. And I had a story in there from a woman who went to the post office and there was a really long line and she was going to be late to her next appointment and she was stomping her way back to her car in the parking lot, you know, all bitter and tense. And and then she saw this woman stomping towards her with this drawn face. And then she thought, oh my gosh, is that what I look like to everybody? And so she smiled at the woman and the woman kind of startled and then her shoulders visibly relaxed and then she smiled back and this woman realized wow I can change how everybody interacts with me today by smiling and so she spent the rest of the day just smiling at people and it really works I mean I, I had an experience in New York uh, a couple of years ago I was in a car and trying to get to a hotel on West 44th Street. So I'm going up 6th Avenue and there was a fender bender right at the entrance to West 44th Street. And so the cops had completely barricaded off the whole street, even though it would have been easy to let people still go through in one lane of the four that were there, but they had barricaded the whole thing off. And so the driver of the car I was in, he was just going to keep going. And I said, no, 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 pull over. Because let me get out at least, and I'll take these two suitcases I have and wheel them down the block to the hotel, but we pulled over and I leaned out the window to the police officer, and I said, "Hi, you must be having a very bad day." I was just wondering, could we just pull up here for a moment? I have two suitcases in the back. I need to get them out of the trunk, and then I'll wheel them down to um the Harvard Club is where I was going, down there on the left, and um is, would that be okay with you? And he goes, lady, with that smile, I'm going to let you drive down there. He pulled all the traffic cones out, let us pull down the road. And I looked in the back window and he put all the traffic cones back after we got through. But that was the power of a smile, you know, with a a hassled cop, you know, in Manhattan. It really works. Uh, so that's one of the tips that's in our Think Positive chapter. Another story I put in there that I thought was good was by Nick Walker. Nick Walker is the weather dude. You might have seen him on um, CNN being like a national weather man. Now he's doing other stuff. But Nick kept all the rejection letters he ever got. And so he had, you know, decades' worth of rejection letters, you know, applying for a newsman position at this TV station and being rejected, and then going to another one. and he looked through all of his rejection letters. And realized that every single one, of course, represented a door that closed. But then he said, "But wait, right after that a door opened, and then I got that job at that other TV station, or it was even a better job." And he realized that every door that closed, there was another door that opened right away, And this falls into the category of remember that there really is always a silver lining. and And you know, I'm telling you all of this stuff even though I have a cancer that is currently incurable and I'm going to have it for the rest of my life. And I'm using all of these tips in your 10 keys to happiness, and I'm doing great. You know, I mean, this stuff really, truly works. And one of the reasons I put this book together now is because I am concerned about my legacy. And I wanted to take what I had learned in the 14 years I've been doing this and distill it into this one volume. So I've got 10 different ways in this book that you can learn how to use positive thinking. So go for it. Amy, I'm first, I'm sorry to hear
1: that and not to be silly or whatever, but I believe that by you're using chicken soup for the soul, you're going to definitely heal better and deal with it better. I just know that part of that is being positive. I've lost some family members and close friends to, to cancer, I, I'm very uh, aware of that and what it can do. But I also know that when we address things from a bigger perspective, as perhaps you're learning with chicken soup of the soul, it just makes things easier to deal with. I hope I'm saying that in the right way. in, in an Oh, positive.
2: totally. I went to see a psychiatrist at Sloan-Kettering because the oncologist, you know, like routinely says, oh, go talk to somebody. So I went to see the psychiatrist And she started out by saying to me, is there anything you're grateful for? Well, (laughs) I went on for 20 minutes without stopping about all the things I was grateful for. So that was, you know, tip number one in our keys to happiness. Then she said, do you have any unresolved issues with anybody? Well, that tip number two, free yourself with forgiveness. So I told her about my lack of unresolved issues with everybody And I think by then we were pretty much at the 50-minute mark of our hour. And um, she said, you know what? You're good to go. You don't ever have to come back. And I said to her, it's chicken soup for the soul. It's what I've learned in all these years of reading these stories. This stuff, it just really, really works. And that's one of the things I try to impress upon people. I'm not some touchy-feely person. I'm a New Yorker, very practical I only like things that work, and that's what I've done here. I'm really trying to present you with things that work and that have all worked for me.
1: I love it, and I do appreciate you sharing that with us. This is the Tony DiRso Show, where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Just ahead, the chat continues, your 10 Keys to Happiness with Amy Newmark. But first, it's time for us to take a short break. See you back here in just a moment.
0: Channel. You're listening to the Tony D'Urso show with key influencers. Now, back to Tony and his guests.
1: All right, we're back on the Tony D'Urso show where you can learn from the wisdom and success of others to help you move on your vision path. Today's show is Your 10 Keys to Happiness with Amy Newmark. And check out my elite entrepreneur interviews on Apple Podcasts. Or you can find everything back to day one at Tony, D-U-R-S-O, dot com slash podcast. And now, back to the chat with Amy. Amy, I conducted this interview today to get more and savor more of the stories and understand it more in depth, drill down in each point, as opposed to running through them. And I absolutely love the stories that we've told. And our time is now come. So what I'm going to say to everyone, there's more stories. There's 90 something more stories to talk about. We didn't get to them all. I'm really sorry. We'll have to do a series on this. But if you go to chickensoup.com, you can get the book. We talked about Your 10 Keys to Happiness with Amy Newmark. I really, truly love those stories. My palms are still sweaty. (laughs) Amy, thank you so much for sharing with us today.
2: Oh, thanks for having me on, Tony. It was a lot of fun.
1: And here's an insider's brief about the real impact of big tech privacy on digital marketing. Now, has your paid advertising diminished in return? You know why that happened? Seems like not everyone is getting what they expected on advertising. I hear of a lot of people throwing money out, not getting what they expected. And here's something that was a shocker to me when it happened. Did you know Facebook lost $232 billion of market cap in one day? Can you say ouch? And here's a solution for you. And by the way, Bloomberg, Yahoo, and Nasdaq calls their strategy brilliant. Meet Joel Phillips, CEO of Proshark, a software development and digital marketing company. Hi, Joel, and welcome to the Tony Dierso show.
3: Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Joel, it's such a big field. It's like, where do we go? Well, we're entrepreneurs, we're businessmen, and some of us do digital marketing, some may not. We sure would like to learn about it. So let's 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 start there and tell us about digital marketing today.
3: And like you said, I mean, it's a huge field, Tony, and it's one that we could take hours upon hours describing. So I'll try and boil it down quickly. It's a lot of there. And there are still many, many small businesses out there who don't understand the importance of what dig, your, their digital footprint has in the marketplace. I mean, they still, to this point, have websites that are just business cards and It used to be that that was fine, but especially lately, especially since the pandemic, I know we all get tired of talking about that, but especially since then more people are online and they start shopping online for the first time in history, Christmas online eclipsed in-store shopping. So that tells you how important this is for businesses. 90, and I don't know the exact number, but in the 90% range of people who buy, Check out who they're buying from online before they make a purchase now. So, your digital footprint, which is what we call your website, everything that people can find, your social media online, your social, your digital footprint is so critical and crucial to your business nowadays that, and and so many people still ignore that, that we find we have to step in and help align that. Now, what a lot of digital marketing companies do is they'll come in and they'll say, you know, we have this one perfect solution that fits everybody's model. But in reality, how can they tell you what digital marketing is going to work for you if they don't know who you are, what you sell, and why you're better than your competitor? So it's really important that you key in on those things in digital marketing. And then you have the change of big tech and what they're doing in the privacy field. And they're doing it under the radar where most people don't even realize what's going on.
1: Well, you know, as you say in this, I'm thinking about it. Here we are entrepreneurs and we're thinking, okay, we've got our website going. Isn't that for some people it's enough because they are used to word of mouth and telling people about it a little bit, but there's just so much more to it. It's, and you know, it Believe it or not, even today, I find people that don't have a website at all. But yet, we, I, be, I believe, my opinion, as well as I think a lot of other people share this, a web presence is so important today.
3: It's become critical. Again, in the 90th percentile, they do research now before they buy. <clears throat> and it used to be that You know, word of mouth was was fine. And for a lot of brick and mortar, it still is because that's how they find people as they talk word of mouth. But as you move online now, there's so much noise out there that as a small business owner, as an entrepreneur, you have to understand how to cut through the noise. You used to be able to run a Facebook paid ad, right, or paid ad. And in general, and you used to be able to say, okay, I got some response for that. But that's diminished. And number one culprit is noise. But number two culprit again, and I come back to big tech and what they've done to rein in third-party marketing.
1: One thing on Facebook, I've tried it multiple times. I used to do lead generation, pay a lot of money up to a dollar or even more just for a click. And with low results even back then, and it takes a lot of work, Not to game it, but to just really get the right settings and the right parameters and the right this. And it's just so much trial and error, Joel. It's just, I I went elsewhere and kind of developed my own system, which is a different conversation. But we're trying to, you know, we're trying to get people that are interested to learn more about us. And we want to have the best conversions possible. Do you have anything in your in your company or your repertoire here that can help us with that?
3: Uh, we do, and and let me step backwards one second because we kind of skirted around this, but I, I want to bring it out to the light. Uh, companies like Apple, they back in September of twenty nineteen, I think, is when they first came out with it, iOS fourteen point five. You referenced their their huge loss in market cap uh, that was due to their introduction of fourteen point five, which Instead of defaulting to allow third-party marketers to uh, place pixels, tracking cookies, et cetera, it now changed to default no, and you had to opt in to be able to to have third-party marketers track you. And who wants to do that, right? Apple did all of this under the guise of privacy, so they're the privacy heroes, but that's not quite the way it worked. So what happened is they're fencing off their data. So no longer would Facebook be able to place a pixel without your express permission and you opting in, which means that 40% of the market, which is Apple, 40% of the market no longer allows you to have that tracking pixel. And as a lead generation tool, you lose something called retargeting. Which was the meat and potatoes of, and it's not just Facebook. It's everybody who does that. They're just the best example. Everybody who did retargeting is no longer able to do it under the new model of privacy. But what happened is Apple has their own advertising platform. Guess who benefited when they did that? And guess what's happening to the other 60% because Google is doing the same thing to be in place by 2023. So it it speaks to this data, data privacy push and what the real meaning behind it is. It's just a money and a data grab by big tech, and it's impacting everybody's ability to market in the marketplace. so what what do you do? And I think that's the question you're asking. Well, we're working on a way to anonymize this tracking, which not only gives you the ability to retarget based on behavior that's not necessarily just yours, but as a class of people. So we can target um, people who track through to a website, view a targeted ad, and then be able to reserve that ad. So it's a way around the privacy fencing. And we've been in development with this. Um, we're working with several strategic partners in this endeavor and should have something out by the end of this quarter possibly the end of, or the beginning of Q4.
1: Joel, is that proprietary or are you using, you know, the regular companies that most of us are familiar with, Facebook, Google, Twitter, et cetera?
3: Well, remember Facebook, Google's coming out with their own. So now you'll be forced to use Google's platform to get to their audience. Uh, Facebook is no longer able to do this. So Facebook is no longer able to do third-party pixel tracking. They're working on solutions as well. I'm not going to say that we're not the, that we're the only one doing that, but we have proprietary because we're a software development company, we're a propri- we're working on a proprietary solution that allows you to be able to track and retarget, which retargeting is the meat and potatoes of paid ads because it allows you to reserve ads very cheaply in in opposition to the initial ad that comes out which is very expensive
1: it's starting to get in my brain a little bit more on on where this is going and how this is being a solution so i presume that means obviously because you're proprietary it's a proprietary you're building this as a software company we'll have a lot better analytics which is i think really key that when i've used other services i couldn't always tell what was going on and it and but they just wanted more money
3: right and and Here's one of our long-term goals. And we've come out with a software platform called Impro, which I'm not trying to do an advertisement by any means, but we understand on our roadmap, if you look on our existing roadmap that's already out, you'll find that by 2024 to 2025, we want to be able to offer AI to small businesses. Most of us know, but for the sake of the layperson who doesn't know, AI is not truly artificial intelligence. It's not reasoning data, but what it is, is a a significant amount of data where I can generate insights and perform data modeling that small companies don't have access to now because it's too expensive. So that's what we're working towards. And you hit the nail on the head. I'm actually really impressed because most people don't get that, is that the amount of data and the ability to perform the analytics But the key word is insight. It's not about just the data because everybody can produce data. It's like push-button reports. Anybody, any digital marketer goes out there. You go out there and you get with them. And I'm not by any means trying to slam. There's some really good ones out there. But how many offer a free assessment with a push-button report? That's great. You can extrapolate data, but how meaningful is that data? How much insight does that data truly provide to you, and until you have somebody who understands what that data truly means, then you're just looking at mounds of numbers, and it's not very meaningful
1: It's a very interesting topic here about all of this. One thing I mentioned at the very beginning was how your company you really have it down on the strategy and you impress Bloomberg, Yahoo, and nasdaq so what is it that you do that is so impressive and so great in terms of working out the strategy for a company? And
3: the biggest thing, and I've learned this with a lot of years under my belt, more than I care to remember, is to listen, to understand what the problem is. And if you understand what the problem truly is, which that's why we're so I'm I I hate to use this word, but I'm passionate about where the trends in the marketplace are going and the impact that they'll have on small businesses. Because in the beginning, technology came out, and we're talking early 2000s. Before that, but technology came out, it was supposed to make life simpler, and it hasn't. It's made it more difficult. Every entrepreneur out there, I would venture to guess guess has eight to ten solutions that they use every single day just to try and stay connected with their consumer. And they don't do a great job of it. The the marketing concept is changing from disparate marketing to individual parties to more of a community model. And when I say that is, if I can attract like-minded companies, like-minded buyers, like-minded providers into the same space, then I have a better chance of reaching those people because the sheer noise in the marketplace to try and just go out and catch a disparate customer is such that you're going to fail. And I I hope that I, I took a long way around. So I apologize for that. I hope I made sense.
1: No, you do make sense. And I I did a recent show. uh, It'll, I'm not sure where it will be, whether it's going to be out before this interview, after this interview, but we're talking about shaping the future and how technology today has just gone this is all my opinion how it's gone so beyond it's nuts. what is useful i mean (laughs) nine months just and i and i could never get my my emails to sync between my phone and my computer nine months you know (laughs) and i talk about all sorts of stuff it's just been it's gone too much and it's just like I, I want non technology or non technological uh, solutions for things just so I can get my stuff done. But back to the key point here, uh, uh, you know, and I'm just thinking here I am, you know, and I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a businessman, whether I have five, 10, or 20 employees or whatever. I'm thinking, does this conversation apply to me? You know, do I have to be selling something on my website to even take advantage of this interview or or not? So, you know it this is this has an e-commerce slant. well, what about for those that coaches, consultants, authors, and so forth? is there still something that they can do in this in terms of utilizing what we're talking about to help them with with their products and services?
3: Certainly, and that's actually a really good question because the one thing that people automatically do when they think of digital footprint, they think of digital marketing is they think of e-commerce and that's no longer true because any company has a digital footprint. Any company of any type has a presence online. They have Google reviews, they have a website, they have the ability to interact with that website. They can either be easy to interact with or they can be difficult to interact with. They can have a customer journey that when a customer goes to a website, they They can either be hodgepodge where a customer goes to a website. Well, now what? Or they can have a journey to them. And it's the ability because no matter what industry, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's coaching, whether it's uh, training, whatever that industry is, has a story to tell. Every business has a story to tell. And if you take the customer logically through that story, then it makes sense to them and they're more likely to trust who you are and do business with you Um, It's being able to use those authority pieces that you have It's being able to amass all of your digital assets, present them in a way that makes sense. And it's as simple as that.
1: Well, you've given us quite some insight here, Joel, on digital marketing, the strategy, analytics, all sorts of good stuff here. And I believe that if people go to ProShark.com, that's P-R-O, and the word shark, S-H-A-R-K.com, that they'll find out more about this and, uh, and, uh, and check it out. I welcome you guys to go check out ProShark.com. Joel, it has been very insightful. It was very fast, but you, but we packed a punch. I thank you so much for joining us on the show today.
3: Tony, I truly thank you for having me.
1: Hey, thanks for hanging out with me while I featured an elite entrepreneur who took her vision to reality. We discussed Your 10 Keys to Happiness with Amy Newmark. She's the editor and publisher of the most prolific book series in the world, Chicken Soup for the Soul series. And she gave us stories and talked about some of the 10 points that she has in her book. We talked about contra blessings, free yourself with forgiveness, helping someone else, having less stuff. Think positive make me time and step outside your comfort zone. Really some good stories there. I absolutely love it. i like to know, what did we discuss that resonated with you? And while we're at it, what's your story? Please let us know. And if you have any Apple device, please uh, give us a, a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps the show. And we really love to hear from you. And it's a review that tells us you're hearing it, and that we're providing and giving you what you like and what is helpful so please give us that review and this is really important i know i ask you about this a lot please share this with a few friends and you know why because it's friends helping friends that get us through this madness and everything else that's going on we have to kind of stick together and help each other all right let's use this and let's help you move on your journey to success thanks and remember just take action. Success awaits those who persevere and remain steadfast despite the odds. Sow good seeds. Do good deeds. And join me on the next episode of The Tony D'Arso Show.